Do you have any tips for hosting? Yeah, we're scared. For hosting? I mean, I propose like doing my best Ashley expression, but you know, Eloise <laughs> completely nicks that, so just 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 giggle. Smile and giggle. <laughs> it's gonna be a really somber episode without your laugh, too. I know. Okay. Okay, so just, like you can just uh, you, you can record me laughing and then use it as a laugh track <laughs> in the background. Okay, that's perfect. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I will be in the office bright and early. All right. <laughs> cool. Enjoy well, the rest of your time. Safe travels. Oh wait. All right. Thank you. Good luck, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. I can start whenever. This is weird. Being the person who has to lead this. Okay. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, everyone, a new podcast from the presently young, genetically hip, and fiercely lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we are not Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. Whew, I don't know how Ashley does this every week. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I think you're supposed to introduce yourself now. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, right. I'm Olga, and I'm here with Zach Davis. Hello, everyone. And we are not here with... <laughs> We are not here with Ashley, who's on a much-deserved vacation. Yeah, so sorry all the listeners who tune in for Ashley only. <laughs> this is going to be a sad week for you. You can close your podcast app, <laughs> go back to your weekend or week. But Zach and I are going to try our hardest to um, host and lead you guys, which I believe in us. I think. Yeah, I do too. Right? I think you should actually stay tuned. So what's on tap this week, Zach? So this week, we are drinking tea, actually. One of our listeners, Victoria, wrote in and asked if we would consider doing an episode where we raised a cup of tea instead of an alcoholic beverage in solidarity with those who choose to abstain from, limit, or carefully monitor their relationship with alcohol. And so, Victoria, we are not savages. We're not? No. We can, <laughs> we, we, we can go one week without, without a drink. We totally can. And so, Victoria also sent us some lovely tea recipes, so we are here enjoying an orange Earl Grey iced tea. Yeah, this is pretty good. I don't normally drink tea. I'm more of a coffee person, but this is a really nice change of yeah, pace for me. Really, really nice. So I guess uh, thank Do you, we, Victoria. And we're going to we clank our yeah, tea. Yeah, chin chin. Clink. <laughs> All right, Olga, who's our guest this week? This week, we're actually talking with the Reverend Broderick Greer, who is an Episcopalian priest down in Memphis, Tennessee. This today, as of the day we're recording, August 9th, it's the third anniversary of the death of Michael Brown. So we're talking to Father Greer about his experience down in Ferguson following the shooting death of Mike Brown. And after that, we've got Consolations and Desolations, where we tell you where we did or didn't find God this week. But first. But first, um, we've got our Signs of the Times, where we sift through the Catholic news so you guys don't have to. So our first story is Scotland just announced its first church on a bus, um, and it's called the Mercy Bus. So people, you can hop on board, and there are actually two levels. It's a double-decker bus. On the first level, it's, I guess, the entertainment level where you can read, sip tea, talk literature with fellow writers. Mm, nice. or Yeah, or you can go to the second level and confess to a priest. So this is, they're really taking Pope Francis's bring church out into the streets seriously. Because the wheels on the church go <laughs> round and round, round and round, round and round. Yeah, since Ashley's not here to laugh, we're just going to fill it in with Zach singing. Yep, so you're welcome. Uh, but it is interesting because I've heard of, you know, buses, you know, like... Uh, church groups that are, you know, going on a pilgrimage somewhere or to a conference and they'll have, you know, mass on a bus. But this one is actually for the explicit purpose of bringing the sacrament to the people. So going out and finding the people. So thumbs up for the mercy bus. Yeah. Shout out to Scotland. Uh, what's next, Zach? 
So this next story is an update from a story we had last week where we reported that a Welsh pub had kicked out a group of seminarians because they had a strict no fancy dress policy. Fancy dress is, in fact, just a fancy word for dress up clothes mm-hmm. and or costumes. Costumes, not dress up clothes. So after they re- after the Welsh pub realized their mistake, they renamed a beer the Thirsty Priest after them. I really love this one because it's great to get a beer named after you, but also thirsty is a slang word for someone who's super eager to do something to the point where it's obnoxious and annoying. So now I'm just thinking of all of these the thirsty, thirsty priests, priests <laughs> at this pub. Or, but they maybe want, they just want to be priests because they're not yet, they're seminarians. So they're thirsty right, for right, ordination. Right, right. Thirsty for God, I guess? Yes. Right? Okay, so Zach, what's our next story? Pope Francis is in the news. He said, summer is an ideal time to refocus our life on God. So many people pointed this out on social media that Pope Francis was possibly subtweeting Donald Trump. Fate would have it that the Pope and the president are vacationing at the same time. Right. And Pope is taking the time off to pray, chill out. And Donald Trump is taking the time to golf and tweet and possibly start a nuclear war. Um, But the reason we actually wanted to talk about this is because we wanted to comment on the value of vacation, especially because you mentioned, Zach, both Trump and Pope Francis are on vacation, but they seem to have very different ideas of what a vacation actually means. Yeah. And you see, you know, Trump, who made fun of Obama a lot for taking vacation. Right. I feel like he has to know that all those tweets still exist where people just keep retweeting every time anything happens where he, you know, says something in contradiction to what he's currently doing. But he yelled at Obama for being on vacation, is pretending like he doesn't isn't on vacation right now. But the question is why 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 would anyone be ashamed of taking a vacation? That's a very American thing, though, right? Because I think even though we are legally allowed to have paid time off or sick days, etc., there is still this level of guilt and shame associated with actually taking time off, you know? Yeah, and not everyone is allowed and exactly, legally time off. Not everyone is allowed to take, the, to take vacation, to take time off. Um, but it's definitely, especially in light of Pope Francis's words, it's definitely something that can be a way for you, for other outlets, for other parts of your life to kind of evolve some more. Like, you know... If I didn't have to work every day, would I be a better Christian, you know? Um, I would not. I think this is keeping me tied to my, to my faith, in fact. I was just, I, you know, just I'm, I'm just trying to promote Pope Francis's words. No, but um, yeah, the we, it, it's just a really unfortunate um, element of our society that, you know, not only do people not have access to vacation, but even when they do, they're sort of... They feel bad about taking it. Yeah, they so do. if you can take a vacation, do it. I'm glad Ashley's on one, finally. She yeah, works too hard. She really does work too hard. What's our next story, Olga? So The Economist last month published an article uh, that claims that exorcisms are actually on the rise in France. So in an attempt to return to Zach's favorite topic, I decided to bring this back this week. Thank you, Olga. You're welcome. Don't mess with demons, kids. Uh, actually, the more I read about things like this, especially this Economist article, the more I'm in your camp. That's what I'm... That- Thank you. That's very good to hear. I'm, I'm curious as to more, but anyway, this article. Yeah, so they claim that exorcis- exorcisms are on the rise in France, and they go on to describe this professional exorcist who has no faith as- affiliation. He's not... So, not a priest. He's not a priest. Not He's not associated with any religious faith. None whatsoever. Okay. But for a small fee, this guy can do things like coming to your house, he can bless it, offer an incantation, because he claims that people really, like get positive energy from these kind of rituals. Um, And this is 
problematic for so many reasons. One, because as Zach has pointed out in the past, you are messing with things that you don't really understand. Do you think this guy also doubles as an exterminator and can get rid of rodents? Probably. Like maybe he just puts a different hat on? Probably. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Or can I, you know, maybe he doesn't have any training in that either. And he just says the water will get rid of the mice. Yeah. And there is actually a danger that exists even seeing situations like this professional exorcist in France. I spoke to a Catholic priest who actually deals with exorcisms and who has a team of people who actually investigate these kind of cases. And he says that this is extremely rare. The Catholic Church does not, you know, this, the Economist article claims that this professional exorcist performs roughly one exorcism a week. And uh, the priest I spoke with actually said this is extremely rare because it is a very long investigative process. And the his team and the church doesn't just go into this thinking like, oh, you know, Everyone is like this. Like most cases are disproved, you know? Mm -hmm. No surprise that this is uh, exorcisms are popular in the cultural imagination. They're popular things to write about. Also no surprise that they're poorly understood and written about poorly. Um, But I think, again, the big issue here is, as you pointed out, as this priest you mentioned pointed out, it's dangerous to mess with stuff like this. It's what I've always been saying. (laughs) We don't know what these incantations are, what people are doing. And here's the thing. If you think that... These reali- these are realities, right? Demons and exorcisms and such. Then they're going to not, they're, they're going to affect everyone. You know, this is why it's a problem when even if people don't, you know, believe in Catholicism or whatever religious tradition that believes in angels and demons, um, it's not like those demons are going to be like, oh, never mind, I won't mess with you because right, you don't right. believe. So, so just, you know, listener, listen to Zach Davis as I will now do from now on. I am firmly in your camp. I will not. <laughs> only with only in regards to exorcisms. <laughs> only in regards to exorcisms. Do not mess with dark forces, no matter how curious you are. Even if some con man comes to your apartment door and says, I can bless this place. Exactly. And now we're excited to welcome the Reverend Broderick Greer. Welcome to Jesuitical, Father. Thank you so much. So you're based down in Memphis. What kind of work do you do down there? I am Associate Rector at Grace St. Luke's Episcopal Church here in Memphis. My main areas of responsibility are ministry to people in their 20s and 30s, so our young adult ministry, which includes hosting a monthly uh, young adult theology podcast called Theology Live which is also a a live public event. We usually have about uh, 40 to 50 people. And then all of the normal um, presiding and preaching on Sundays, weddings, funerals, hospital visits. Um, We also have a K-8 school, and I do school chapel from time to time. Um, So that's kind of a a normal week in my life here. And that's sort of the day-to-day. And you're also... A writer and activist, correct? Um, people call me an activist. I do not self-identify as such, but I do. I do some writing. Speaking of writing, the first article you wrote for America was how Ferguson and Michael Brown helped me understand my baptismal vows. Yes, I think that, and I've talked about this elsewhere as well. The sacramental life of Christians, you know, being baptized, receiving the Eucharist regularly. 
sensitizes us to the suffering of other people. And so um, when we are baptized, we in some way come into solidarity with Jesus's crucifixion. In my own baptism uh, and my identifying as a black person, as a queer person, I am brought into proximity with the suffering of other people. And you said that a lot of Christians like to think of baptism as a get-out-of-jail-free card. And you talk about that's not really the case, <laughs> right? So, so what, what did you mean by that? Yeah, um, I think I go on to say that baptism is not as much a get-out-of-jail-free card as it is a, the card that gets us into jail. Um, basically, a lot of us have this very kind of Victorian idea of baptism that it is a um, it's a ceremony or a rite r i t e that cleanses us, which is true, uh, and we ignore, however, the other dimensions of baptism. That not only does baptism cleanse us and and brings us into a a, a relationship of forgiveness with God, um, but baptism also uh, takes us to those places of deep suffering and despair in the world, um, places that are often ignored or looked over. And so one of those places that is being ignored or was being ignored at the time was Ferguson for you, though, yes? Absolutely. Um, Ferguson, you know, at the time of Michael Brown's death and his killing, you know, was kind of a a normal black suburb of St. Louis, normal in as much as the normal income of black people there was lower than the income of white people throughout our country. We later found out that police were targeting black citizens of Ferguson in order to improve the income of the city. And so until Michael Brown's death, so many of us had no idea um, about kind of widespread injustice and widespread targeting of black people through over-policing. I say many of us, I mean, I knew about things like this because um, I grew up with black parents who taught me about what it meant to be black, what it meant to be over-policed. Um, but there are lots of people outside of our communities who learned about uh, the plight of our communities for the first time in the wake of his death. Right. And you, you've also written about what happened in Charleston with the Charleston Nine. And you mentioned that for a lot of white communities, they're just sort of getting these stories from what they might see on mainstream media. And I think one of the things I interviewed um, the Reverend Sharon Rish Risher, who lost her mother during the Charleston massacre, and one of the things that she was most frustrated with was the way in which black Christians were portrayed by mainstream media, namely that, you know, everyone wanted to kind of praise the fact that all of these individuals forgave Dylan Roof after this happened. And she was just kind of like, no, I'm angry. Like, I lost my mother. I, I'm aware that God will help me forgive. But me being angry and me being passionate about this moment is totally a part of my faith, you know? Exactly. Um, there was one daughter of one of the um, victims, she spoke very clearly that any forgiveness that she pronounced over the life of Dylan Roof, toward Dylan Roof, was not her own forgiveness, but God's. And that a lot of Black Christians 
the way that they understand forgiveness is not, it's not something that we do person to person. It's something that God does toward other people. And we, um, we ask God to forgive them. We don't necessarily jump to forgiveness. Um, and, and they use rightfully so the scene of, from Jesus's crucifixion. Jesus himself does not say that he forgives the people crucifying him. He asks God the Father to forgive them. And so Christian, black Christians use that as a model, um, that forgiveness is not something necessarily that happens from person to person, though it may, and, and it is a process, and it's not necessarily something that happens at once. But ultimately, forgiveness is, is the work of God. Uh, which takes the pressure off of victims and survivors of um, state-sanctioned trauma and, and violence. Um, mainstream media likes to really portray uh, black people and black Christians in particular as kind of these endless machines of forgiveness toward uh, white violence, um, which is kind of used as a a, a weapon of silencing us and um, making us less complex than we are. Um, and so I'm grateful to hear when Black Christians and Black people say, yes, forgiveness is the goal. It's not necessarily something that comes easily, and it's not even necessarily something that comes from me. Ultimately, it is something that is coming from God. I think that, you know, mercy and forgiveness are some of the things that bring people, like, closest sometimes to the heart of the gospel. So, you know, I, I, like many people, are, like, enamored to, like, to see these, like, miraculous stories of forgiveness where it's, you know, it you, it has to be something divine at work. But I think something that I've, like, really had to push myself on and be pushed by other people is, you know, sometimes that's also an invitation to ignore um, the injustices, to, you know, valorize this forgiveness to the point without talking about, you know, other forms of white violence or state-sanctioned violence. I think the big question always when people start talking about um, marginalized communities forgiving majority communities is who is doing the forgiving and what exactly is being said? Are you listening closely to what they're saying? Are they saying this is okay that, that I lost my loved one, that I lost my friend? Or does their forgiveness have an edge to it? Mm. Uh, does their forgiveness demand justice ultimately is their forgiveness a critique of kind of this system of white supremacy and white violence mm. and you'll hear so many black people who will say you know i'm not forgiving for the sake of the perpetrator i'm forgiving for the sake of myself and mm. ultimately it is god who forgives it is god who will deal shrewdly um with the perpetrator. So, Father, you talked about your experience in Ferguson and you've talked about the work that you do and what your parish is like. How do you feel, is there a strong faith or church presence in newer movements uh, for racial justice like the Black Lives Matter movement? Do you feel that other church leaders and other, uh, like, have you met a Catholic priest down there? What's that look like? Mm, interesting. You know, Memphis specifically has a rich history of kind of progressive faith communities and progressive clergy. Um, and there are lots of people 
who are doing, you know, justice work uh, from lots of different motivations and uh, people that I know personally do it from um, a place of deep Christian faith. Something that we talk a lot about is, you know, what are, you know, where is the, where is the church? Where isn't the church in these, these movements for justice? How is it, you know, Mm. supported? How has it failed in a lot of ways? How do you, how do you understand that? Or how do you understand, you know, church? A lot of the times us at America, we're focusing on the Catholic church specifically and, you know, where, where it hasn't been or where it, you know, is trying to catch up to. Uh, How do you understand that? Are there there any like limitations that are never going to be crossed well, I think insofar as the church benefits in its various forms from injustice and the status quo, the church is going to be very allergic to kind of social transformation. And I say church in the broadest sense of the term. What Ebony Marshall Terman, Dr. Ebony Marshall Terman, who is um, a theology professor at Yale Divinity School, talks about is some of us need to broaden our sense of what church is, um, specifically when it comes to the black church and how, you know, there were so many black ministers in the St. Louis area who were not, you know, kind of on the side of regular black people in Ferguson from day one. I know when I was there, there were black ministers riding um, in the passenger seat of police cars with police. Um, as kind of chaplains to police (laughs) instead of chaplains to regular black people. Um, And this was around kind of August 24th or so, August 23rd. Um, Later in September is kind of when the black clergy really started showing up on the side of the people and not the state. But what Dr. Terman argues for is this sense that the sense that the work that Black Lives Matter as an organization and then more broadly, the movement for black lives is that these people are church. They are a gathering of people who are making sense of their humanity and their experience really from a spiritual or a theological perspective. Um, they are naming evil as they see it. They are creating good as it is needed. And there's something, and and many of them are humanists or atheists, um, who are maybe kind of Christianity adjacent, Mm -hmm. but don't subscribe to Christianity. And I think there's a lot for Christians to learn from, um, these kind of secular humanist activists who have a deep, deep, deep sense of humanism. They have a deep sense that um, black life is sacred. They may not worship God or show up at a church, but black life is sacred to them. And there's something to be learned about black people from them. Um, And so the church, you know, often sees itself as teacher and not as student. And I think this movement is such a great teacher um, to Christianity in the U.S., whether it be black, white, or otherwise. Before we wrap up, we always ask our guests one final question. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, who would it be? Mm, Great question. Um, 
anyone living or dead, I would say Beyonce. I okay. mean, she's basically already <laughs> been canonized. Okay. And why I is think that? In a, I, I mean, because she's like perfect. Mm-hmm. I think more seriously, um, I would definitely canonize my maternal grandmother, Fairy, who died three years ago. We were very close. She was the minister of music at the Baptist church I was baptized in for 40 years. She worked for God very quietly um, and just in her community, giving food to people who needed food, giving clothes to people who needed to be clothed. My most fond memories of her are, you know, looking through her bedroom door and seeing her kneeling at the side of her bed every night, um, praying. And that's where she received her nourishment, and that's where she received her marching orders in the world, is at the foot of that bed. And that was the example of faith that I saw growing up. Um, And I consider her my patron saint even now. Um, And I expect that as in life, she is praying for me even in death. Um, And I ask for her intercession constantly because I need it. (laughs) (laughs) I need it. Amen. St. Fairy. Awesome. Father, thank you so much for this. This was a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Where can people find your work? Uh, You can find my work at BroaderickGreer.com. I'm at Broderick Greer on Twitter. And you can also find my work at at Studio Pelican on Twitter, which is kind of the video-based piece of my theological work. So, that's me. Great. Thank you. Thank you. All right, it's time for a little bit of listener mail. So this week on our weekly Twitter poll, we mm-hmm. asked our readers if they were going to rename a Catholic-themed craft beer, what would it be? And we were posting this on Twitter because we updated you guys on the Thirsty Priest story. So we wanted to see if you guys could come up with better beard names. Thirsty, thirsty Priest being the name of the beer, not The name of the, the beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, right. The, yeah. The pre- Let, let's just be clear. <laughs> we don't think seminarians are thirsty. And um, we got, I, you know, I love craft beer names in yeah. general. And these Catholic-themed ones were They're top so notch. good. They're so good. The first one is from our own Jim Keen, who wrote Beersheba. And Bob wrote Transubstantiation Triple IPA. <laughs> then Andy wrote in Ale Mary. Ale Mary. That's <laughs> well, I don't know. That has to exist already. I don't it, know how it, has it does to. it. It's just too obvious not to. Uh, Roberto wrote in Holy Trinity Triple Ale, Habemus Porter, His Hoppiness. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I think that's my favorite. Um, and then Jake wrote in Jesuitical. Ale. No, no, no. Wait, am Jesuitic I Jesuitic kale. Oh, sorry, sorry. Jesuitic kale. All one word. All, all one all word. <laughs> um, Ignatius of IPA. Nice. Clergy's Companion. Ratzinger Red Ale. And Squirt, wait, Sour Sisters Sessions Ale. I hate sour beer, but I love that name. I do like that name. And I also like Ratzinger Red Ale. I feel like I drink that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to inquire as to why, but... I don't know. <laughs> 
It just seems like something that would taste good. If it's on the menu, you're picking it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, and also, we got some new iTunes reviews this week. Ooh. So again, we cannot stress, these are super important to us. They're super important to the Please. show. Uh, so if you have a second, leave us one. So thank you to Becca Bailey 34 Epdungan, Donigan, Epdonigan, I think, <laughs> and Kilted2000 for jumping in this week and leaving us some. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, and we wanted to shout out Amanda Jordan, who wrote us a really awesome email, and she talked about how something she finds compelling in the show is our Constellations and Desolation session, because um, that's really connecting with her in a moment of desolation that's lasting a little bit longer than most do. Um, and... That's always like really good for us to hear. Yeah, yeah, because we it is very very difficult for us. Like not just when we're recording this, but in our prep sessions, we literally have to like this is pulled from us because it's not easy. It's it's a level of vulnerability that, you know, I'm not comfortable with. I don't know if you guys are, but it's just it's hard. So when people really relate to us, it it makes me want to try one more week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm glad you're not quitting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, shout out to Amanda, who's from my hometown. We we knew each other growing up, so I'm, that's really exciting. Also. Oh, okay. Love well, Ohio, shout out. Love Ohio. Yeah. All right. Speaking of those consolations and desolations, should we get into them? Uh, let's do it. All let's right. It. So this is the part in the show where we look at our week and we say, where did we find God? And where was it a little hard to find God? All right, Olga, what'd you got? Okay. So I've got a desolation this week. Um, as our listeners know, I'm 27 and I'm in a relationship. So I'm at that age where... I'm having conversations. You're so old. Whatever. <laughs> old. You say old. I say wise, but whatever. Um, so, you know, I'm having conversations about starting a family, what that would look like. And I never thought that I would leave New York. That was just not a possibility that it, I'd ever considered. I was just going to be like, I'm a New Yorker. My kids are going to be New Yorkers. It's the greatest city in the world. Yes, I'm that egotistical New Yorker. Um, but the reality is that it's not really economically feasible to raise a family here. So I've been looking at other states, places where I would love to move. Um, and it's been really kind of desolating for me to think about the possibility of leaving. You know, I'm from an immigrant family and leaving our home is not something that's instilled in us. You know, I know a lot of, for American culture, there's this whole like, you go to college, you go away to college and you move out in your 20s. That is not the case in Dominican culture. Like if it were up <laughs> to my mom, my parents would buy a three family home. I would live there with my husband, my sister with hers and my family and the other like, space or whatever mm -hmm. um so i'm not only dealing with leaving this place that i've known since i came to this country but also leaving my family behind and that's just it's terrifying well and it sounds like you know the the whole economic side of that makes it almost feel like it's you know you're making a choice but it's also one of those options isn't really a feasible one so the the, the fact that it doesn't feel like it's a total f thing you can make in freedom like if you had unlimited resources and money you would just right if i like became the, the dominican jk rowling tomorrow then of course i would stay in new york city i'd like yeah. buy the bronx you know but you're right it's a choice that i'm not making i'm just thinking like you know i don't want i want my kids to have a home and to be, have more freedom than they would have in new york city mm -hmm. you know hang on i'm writing down my next young adult novel story idea Olga <laughs> buys the bronx <laughs> that is you can't steal that from me okay <laughs> <laughs> but what do you got this week zach so I am bringing a consolation this week. So uh, one of my roommates is leaving for the semester. So that is a sad thing. But we were, we all went out 
uh, this weekend to kind of, you know, celebrate, mark the end of summer. He's going back to grad school. He'll come back. Um, he's a summer friend currently, but we're hoping to, once he graduates from grad school, to become a real friend. Oh, I, I didn't realize there was a distinction between Oh, total friends. distinction. Like, you're, you have you have camp friends, vacation friends, summer ah, friends. got it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, biology class friends. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, we're hoping uh, that JP tr- transcends from summer friend to real friend. Okay. But we were all going out this Saturday, and we took a moment to just sort of, like, realize where we are now you know we're all roommates now and where we were last year and it was a moment of shared recognition walking down the street that life is really good even though he's leaving for a while um it was the fact that one i was feeling grateful but two that i was feeling grateful with all these people who i'm grateful for in my life uh that shared recognition was the consolation for me this week Right, right. And knowing that, like, even though he's going away for a semester, like, that friendship is still there, you know? And yeah, we're about to graduate from a summer friend to a real Right, friend. right. Or at least I hope. Good luck, JP. I hope <laughs> I hope you transition. I'm praying for you. Um, but yeah, that's really great. And also, I would be remiss, uh, since you're looking at uh, options, I would love to recommend Ohio. Oh, yeah? As a place to move. Okay, elevator pitch. Go. Uh, one, America is Ohio and Ohio is America. You can find, you know... Uh, if you're looking for a more urban environment, you know, Columbus, Ohio almost has a million people in it. Okay. By urban, how many Dominicans are in Columbus, Ohio? Hold, please. <laughs> Dominican puppy. Uh, Eric, our producer is saying zero. Um, I, I bet there's like three. <laughs> I mean, I'm sold. Could I be like me and my family? We could be the first ones. Yeah. And you could, you know, you could probably afford a house out there with a yard and groceries are cheaper. Huh. Uh, you ever heard of Kroger? No, I haven't. It's it's a great place. They're, the the aisles are wide enough for like three carts to go down at the same time. <laughs> so wait, is this like a Walmart or something? It's or uh, you'll I just know. find out when you get there. Oh, okay, okay. Also, you get to pick the president. So oh, okay, that's, perfect. Your vote All matters right, more. Perfect. Got it. Thank you for that. You're welcome. All right, should we <laughs> roll credits? Yeah, let's roll credits. Alrighty, Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Adult Supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Our engineer is Angelo Jesus Canta. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, please. And leave us a review. Leave us a review because we'll read it on air and it really makes us feel good and we want to go up in ratings. Yeah. Also tell your friends. <laughs> All right. Finally, send your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and please tell us where you found God this week or where it was hard to find God this week at Jesuitical at AmericaMedia.org. For America Media, I'm Zach Davis. See you guys next week. <laughs>